chapter number 5. We are continuing a lesson that we began a couple weeks ago. Uh, Some of you may have been here, some of you may not have. Some of you may still have your notes. I'm so proud of you. If you do, the lesson is entitled, Why It Matters How We Live. We read from Romans chapter 5 where... The Bible says the law under the offense might abound, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So God has enough grace to cover all of our sin, but that does not mean that we should just sin to the max so that we can experience God's grace to the max, or that since the blood of Christ has taken away our sin, we have the excuse to go out and live whichever way we want. That is a misunderstanding of the grace of God that is expressed both by the lost religious people to whom we seek to witness And unfortunately, according to Jude chapter 1, it is also a misunderstanding that is espoused by certain (laughs) saved people. That the fact that we are saved by grace without works and kept by grace without works means that it doesn't really matter how we live. My life doesn't have any bearing upon my eternal destination that is all wrapped up in what Jesus Christ did for me. I am saved by grace. I am eternally secure. And so it just doesn't matter how I live. That is a, that is a very, very dangerous idea and misunderstanding of the truth from the New Testament. And so we are contradicting those statements in our Sunday school lessons. Somebody grab that door, please. That would be a blessing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our first point that shows why it matters how we live, that we studied together, is the fact that there are consequences for our actions. Temporally speaking, we have to deal with the consequences for the way that we live. We, we, we reap what we sow. There are blessings for obedience. There is heartache and trouble and turmoil. The way of the transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. God chastens his children. And so even though there are not necessarily eternal penalties for our sins, if we are saved, there are temporal consequences for our sin. And God tells us to stay away from sin because he knows that sin is going to ruin our lives. Point number two in your outline, you can take it down on your notes. The second reason why it matters how we live, and we're just summarizing these with one word for each point. The second word is rewards. The second word is rewards. I understand those who were here last week, Brother Kyle basically taught this point for me. This was the focus of his Sunday school lesson, uh, except for those who were there looking at me like they don't remember. So we'll go ahead and cover it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 10. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we, this is saved people being addressed, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive... The things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're not going to stand before the white throne judgment. They're not going to look for our names in the book of life to determine whether or not we get to go to heaven. Uh, that The lost people of this age will stand at that judgment written up in Revelation chapter 20. And they will be judged by their works to prove their condemnation. That's what we've been studying from Romans chapter 2. But according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for saved people, there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of judgment. There is an event in our future called the judgment seat of Christ and the things done in our bodies. Did you see that? That everyone may receive the things done in his body. So what you are doing right now, it matters and will one day come to judgment. The way that you live your life as a Christian 
it carries great consequences and there is great potential to receive reward. Let's look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 8. How we live does matter. How we conduct ourselves as Christians is very important. No, it, it, it is not a determining factor in where we spend eternity. If we've trusted Christ, that's going to be in heaven, not in hell. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible than how to stay out of hell and get into heaven. God has some instructions for us as to how we live. And one of the reasons why we ought to follow those instructions is that God holds out rewards to those who will. Not just temporal blessings, but eternal rewards. We are far too short-sighted. We live too much in the moment. We need to be able to cast our vision long into the future and live in the way that we will wish we would have then. Eternity is so much longer than this life. This life is fleeting. This life is passing. It's a vapor. It's here for a moment. It vanishes away. If you got up early enough this morning and went outside, you might have been able to see your breath in the cool Florida air in the month of October. It's just, it's there and it's gone. That's our lives. But eternity, well, that goes on forever. You can't even comprehend. You can't even fathom. You can't even wrap your mind around. You can't even say <laughs> eternity. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 8, the Bible says this, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Jim, Jim Elliott quoted C.T. Studd, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will. It's the only chance we have to acquire rewards that we will have for all eternity. Everyone shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So what are you doing for God? What acts of service are you rendering? What, rewar what rewards are you laying up? The Bible says, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Lay up treasure in Heaven. Do you have any laid up? Have you made any heavenly investments? What rewards are waiting for you? Verse number nine. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husband. You're God's building according to the grace of God, which is given to me. See, here's what grace does. Grace doesn't just save you. Grace motivates you to live a life of service to God so you can get rewards. According to verse number 10, the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Is he the foundation of your life? Is he the foundation of your priorities? Is he the foundation of your schedule? Is he the foundation of your calendar? Is he the foundation of your relationships? Is he the foundation of your thoughts and your affections? Verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. That, that is so important to be mindful of. One day, our works will be tried, not to determine whether or not we go to heaven or hell. That's settled. To determine what rewards we receive. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. 
It's a promise from God. He is holding that out to us as motivation. Oh, you shouldn't serve God for rewards. God told us to serve him for rewards. I, I, I would admit there's greater motivation. The fact that we love him, that ought to trump something else that he's going to do for us. There's already all that he has done for us. I mean, just taking us to heaven, that ought to be enough to devote our lives to him. But in addition to that, in addition to that, he wants to reward those who walk in obedience. He promises to reward those who give their lives in his service. Verse number 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Not loss of his soul, not loss of his salvation, not loss of a mansion, loss of rewards. You'll lose out on what you could have had. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, we're not going to take time to study what all those rewards are. There are five different crowns spoken of in the Bible. There are uh, rule and authority over cities in Christ's millennial kingdom spoken of in the Bible. There are, there are general rewards spoken of the Bible. Here's gold and silver and precious stones. What I want you to think about this morning, just the fact that if God is offering rewards, it's got to be something that's worth having. Have you ever been offered a prize and you put in whatever effort it took to attain the prize and you got the prize and it was a little underwhelming? Have you, have you ever received a reward that didn't quite live up to the hype? I mean, you were so excited about getting all those tickets from all the arcade games and you got 500 of them and you got a five-inch plush toy that ripped on the way home. Right? You memorized 10 chapters for junior church. You got a dollar store toy. Or something out of the Oriental Trading Company magazine. I mean, it just... Oh, thanks. Right? You were the best player in the whole league. And at the end of the season, you got a plastic trophy. They didn't even have your name on it. It was just left over from last year. <laughs> right? Have you ever been underwhelmed by man's rewards? God, I guarantee you, the, the rewards that God holds out to us are nothing like that. If God says, hey, I've got a crown, you think, I don't want a crown. That, you haven't seen the crown God's offering. You read the Bible and God said, you know, the, uh, those that serve me, I'll give them authority over 10 cities. Oh, I don't want to be in charge of a city. But you haven't experienced this kingdom. You will want to be a participant. I guarantee you. Whatever it is that God is offering, it's something that ought to motivate us. It's something that we ought to strive for. It's something you will wish you had if you don't have it. And it's something, if you get it, you will be so thankful that you did whatever it took to be honored and rewarded and thanked by God for your service to him. Can you imagine that? Look, it, it's a big deal for someone to win a congressional medal because that's supposed to be somewhat of a prestigious group of people, Right? It's a big deal to be rewarded a medal of honor or a purple heart and have the president of the United States bestow that honor upon you. Why? Because he's a, it's a big deal. Just ask him. Right? What about God? 
What about the almighty creator of heaven and earth? What about the eternal, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the one whose name is holy? For him to reward you. That's why it matters what we do for him because he's going to make it so much more than worth it. So rewards are something we ought to strive for. Come to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. That's why it matters because there are rewards promised to those who allow the grace of God to work in their lives past the moment of salvation. Those who have a Titus 2 understanding of the grace of God, not just bring salvation, but teach us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, so we can live soberly and righteously and godly and makes us a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's the kind of grace uh, that God wants all of us to experience in our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 18. 1 Timothy 5, 18 says... For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. God said if somebody does some work for you, you ought to pay them. And if somebody works for you with the expectation of getting paid and you don't pay them, you're wicked. That's what God said. If a beast serves you, you need to feed it. Thou shalt not muzzle, that, that, that's the illustration for the compensation of ministers. I shall not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. I'm not exactly sure what all that's saying, but it's the Bible, right? And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against them to receive not an accusation before two or three witnesses, then the sin rebuke for all that others also may fear. Charge thee before God, Lord Jesus Christ, elect angels, thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure, drink no longer water. Use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, thine often infirmities. Before you try to claim that verse, read the whole verse, okay? If you're going to use some alcohol medicinally, then you have to stop drinking water. And it doesn't say drink wine. It says use wine. This is basically, okay, just so this verse doesn't confuse you as we pass over it, this is basically scriptural justification for taking NyQuil. <laughs> this is not scriptural justification for Budweiser. Enough said. Verse 25. Uh, verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that otherwise cannot be hid. What, what do we see when we come down to the end? Of the, at, at the beginning of the passage, there's this biblical principle. You pay people who work for you. Well, God's the one who established that principle, and God's going to keep himself to that principle. If you work for God, then God is going to reward you. If you labor for the Lord, you're going to be compensated. Verse 24 says, some of that will be down here, but most of it will be up there. Some of it will happen now, but most of it will come later. People get so discouraged. I'm serving God. Nothing's coming from it. I'm obeying the Lord. Doesn't seem to be benefiting me. I'm trying to do what's right, and I don't see any results. We've got to look to the future because that's when most of the rewards are coming. And if it's choice between being rewarded here for a short while and being rewarded there forever, which would you rather have? Okay? So God rewards those who serve him. That's why the grace of God doesn't mean, well, now I can just do whatever I want, live however I want, be my own boss, call my own shots. 
use the grace of God and the blood of Christ as an excuse to offend God's holiness with my lifestyle. Number three, come to Luke chapter 5. Here's why it matters how we live. Luke chapter 5. It's one of my favorite messages to preach. You've probably heard me preach it. I'll give you a five-minute summary in the Sunday school lesson this morning. Luke chapter 5. Verse number 12, the word here, the point here is testimony. Why does it matter how we live? Because of our testimony. Luke chapter 5, verse number 12, the Bible says, It came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean, and immediately the leprosy departed from him. In verses 12 and 13, we have not only an incredible miracle worked by Jesus Christ, which evidences the fact that he was, in fact, the Son of God. He was divine. He was God manifest in flesh. He was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. He left no doubt as to that fact. Not only proves his divinity, but it, it provides a great illustration of our salvation. Here's a man full of leprosy. What is leprosy in the Bible? It's a type of sin. And the man is full of leprosy. And we are exceeding sinful. And the man, he couldn't be healed by medicine. He couldn't be healed by doctors. He couldn't be healed by religion. He couldn't be healed by any any human means. And the same it is with our sin. There is no remedy for the sin of our soul to be found in us or in others, but he saw Jesus, and in Jesus Christ he recognized the only one who could who could free him from his condition, the only one who could cleanse him of his disease. And having made this realization, he goes to Jesus and cries out for mercy. He calls on the name of the Lord, if you will. And the moment we did that, the moment we recognized Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. Jesus Christ is the only one who can cleanse us. Jesus Christ is the only one who forgive us. And when we called out to him for that forgiveness, the Bible says immediately the leprosy departed from him. Jesus is willing to save all that come to God by him. He is willing that all should be saved and come to knowledge of truth. He's not willing that he should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Bible says the salvation that takes place is an immediate transaction. It happens in a moment of time. The moment we trust in Jesus Christ, all our sins are forgiven. We are born again, sealed by the Holy Spirit, headed for heaven, praise the Lord. But verse number 14, the account continues and... He charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So Jesus heals this leper. And after that, Jesus does not say, okay, have a good day. See you in heaven. He says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. He healed him and then he gave him instructions. He healed him and then he told him, you need to go make an offering for your cleansing. Not so you could be cleansed. He had just been cleansed. Immediately the leprosy departed. He was already as clean as he would ever be. Going to the temple wouldn't make him more clean. Not going to the temple wouldn't make him less clean. But Jesus gave him some instructions. Jesus gave him a job. Jesus gave him a commandment. He said, go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now it's the same with us. When God saves us, he doesn't just say, okay, see you one day in heaven. He gives us instructions. 
He gives us commandments. There's something He wants us to do for Him. There are some offerings that we need to make. Not so we can be cleansed. We've already been cleansed. Not so we can be saved. We've already been saved. There's some things He wants us to do for a testimony unto them. you got to think about that priest in the temple. He had all these laws about leprosy and the cleansing of the leper. But guess what? Outside of a miracle, and we read of one or two in the Old Testament, nobody had ever been cleansed of leprosy. It is an incurable disease. So he memorized all these rituals regarding the cleansing of the leper, but he never had to use them until one day in Luke chapter 5, a man shows up at the temple and says, I've been cleansed of my leprosy. I need to make an offering. What offering is that? The priest You've been cleansed of your leprosy. How did you get cleansed of your leprosy? Who healed you? The man tells him, Jesus. Well, that's the one these Pharisees are fighting against. That's the one these Pharisees are seeking to kill. That's the one these Pharisees have heard about. That all the Jews are following this man around and he's preaching and he's healing. On the Sabbath day, we got to kill that guy. What an incredible testimony it was to a man who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said when somebody came and said, Jesus healed me. Here's the proof. I'm here to make an offering. And it's the same with us. Why does God give us commandments? Why does God give us instructions? Not so we can be saved. Not so we can more saved if we keep them. Or less saved if we don't. If you've trusted Christ, you're saved. As saved as you'll ever be. But there is a world of people who are lost and dying and going to hell who don't know Jesus Christ. And God wants our lives to be a testimony to them to the saving power of the grace of God. And yes, we go and we have to proclaim the gospel verbally. We have to, we have to preach uh, the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is the power of God's salvation. But what if we preach and say, here's what Jesus can do, but our lives are just like everyone else's lives. Well, then we have a life that contradicts our message. We've got to line the two up. We've got to have a testimony. Look at verse number 15. What was the result of this? But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. You know what happened when this man who was healed by Jesus then went and did what Jesus said to do? The fame of Jesus Christ spread across that region. That's why it matters how we live. Because we have a testimony. We have a duty. We have an obligation. We have a job. We, have, we are debtors, Romans 1 says, to those who are lost. We owe it to them to preach the gospel with our lips and demonstrate an illustration of the power of the gospel with our lives. Our testimony is very, very, very important. You can't preach the gospel by your lifestyle, but you can't preach the gospel without a corresponding lifestyle. Does that make sense? You have to back up what you're going to say with the way you live. The way you live doesn't say enough. You've got to say the gospel. You've got to back up that gospel message with a gospel life. Come to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We'll try to get in the fourth point here this morning. Why does it matter how we live? Because of consequences, because of rewards, because of our testimony. Then Titus chapter 2, we alluded to this principle earlier. And the word is this, gratitude. Gratitude. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Aren't you glad he did that? You know, he did not have to do that. In the garden he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. I'm glad he didn't end the prayer right there. I'm glad he went on to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, who gave himself for us. He had to come and live on the earth as a human being for 33 and a half years, tempted of the devil, experiencing all the the suffering of life in a world that is cursed by sin. Realize he was God, living in the glory and splendor of heaven with angels encircling the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. He left all that. Humbled himself, become a man, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in likeness of men, became obedient even unto death. The death of the cross. Why? So we could be saved. So we could taste the grace of God. So we could have our sins forgiven in eternal life. Who gave himself for us, but he had, a, he had a, even a greater purpose in mind, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good Works. Do you know why Jesus died for you? Yes, to, to keep you out of hell. Yes, to take you to heaven. Yes, to make you his child. But biblically speaking, it goes much further than that. Jesus died for you according to Titus 2.14 so you could live for him. He died for you so you could serve him. Have you bought something because... You thought that this certain thing you were going to pay for would do something for you. It would, it would have a certain function. It would fill a certain role. It would make your life so much easier. It would cut your uh, preparation time in half. And you buy the thing and it doesn't work. And you buy the thing and it breaks. And you buy the thing and the advertising was a lie. Isn't that disappointing? Isn't that frustrating? Don't you feel cheated? You know what God paid to redeem your soul? The blood of his son. You know the price Jesus paid so that you could be saved? His life. Do you know what what he expected in return for you to serve him? For you to please him? For you to honor him? For you to obey him? Is Jesus getting what he paid for? It's really frustrating when you don't get what you pay for. Is Jesus frustrated by our lives? Considering the fact that he's done so much for us, shouldn't we be thankful? Shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we be appreciative? Well, the greatest way to express that and to show that and to demonstrate that is simply to live in a way that pleases him. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why does it matter how we live? How insulting it would be to take the forgiveness God offers and then just say, okay, that's all I wanted from you. I'm done with you now. I'm going to live my own life. And yet that's the attitude that so many people who claim to be saved have taken. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or as I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, 
Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Jesus died for you so you wouldn't live for you anymore. It wasn't working out so well anyway. They which live should not henceforth live for themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose Again, now, we love God because he first loved us. Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because he sent his only begotten Son to the world that we might live through him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this. Man laid down his life for us. We have every reason to love God. He's loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were unworthy. He, he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How can we return that love? Verse number 15, live not to yourself, but in the one that died for you. Verse 14, that love ought to constrain you. To, to constrain, it's to constrict, to, to put you in some boundaries. You know what that, those boundaries are? God's commandments. The life that he wants me to live, I am bound to that life by the love of Jesus Christ. I ought to express my gratitude for the salvation that he gave me by living in the way that he wants me to. That's why my life matters, because it's an opportunity for me to show that I'm thankful. And if I just take my life back into myself, what an insult that is to such a loving God. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Verse number 3, Galatians chapter 1. Verse number 3 says this, Grace be to you in peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, religion has the wrong order. Salvation is not the objective of good works. Salvation is the motive for good works. We discount the Savior's sacrifice when we pursue the sin he died to save us from. We discount. We say it's not worth all that much. We discount the Savior's sacrifice when we pursue the sin he died to save us from. We'll take one more week to finish this up. Here's why it matters how we live. Because there are consequences, temporal consequences for our actions. Because there are rewards God offers to those who serve him. Because we have a testimony to the lost and dying world. Because we ought to express some gratitude to the one who loved us so much. He gave his life to save us from our sins. So... Don't use the grace of God as an excuse to live your own way. Use the grace of God as a great excuse to live God's way. Lord, help us with that. Father, surely thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, Lord. And uh, like Paul said in Romans 12, 1, we're beseeched by the mercies of God. May we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you. Bless our time in the church house now this morning. Use Brother James as he opens up your word. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.